right, welcome back to the Jigs Up. Of course, my name is Darcy, and with us, as always, is the ever amazing Jason. How's it going, buddy? Excellent. How's the greatest beard in Calgary? <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but it's uh, it's coming along. You know, I'm doing pretty good. Well, it might be the greatest Métis beard in Calgary. Wow, there you go. There you go. I, I would compete for that title. That would that's something I could compete for. <laughs> There's our, our new go-to. We're going to start a Métis beard competition. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah, well, hey, that might make for a good YouTube video or something, right? Hey, you never know. Somebody might actually listen to that one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Although you did put out a video this week, and uh, you've got quite a few uh, hits on it now. and um, So it's doing pretty good. So if anybody's interested, you can head over to the uh, Keeping It Real um, on YouTube and check out all of our videos there, actually. so Yeah, all our podcasts are there as well if you want to listen through that venue. So. Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I don't know if I'm still putting them out on YouTube or not, but I know a lot of them are on there. Plus the videos you make that actually uh, that people actually enjoy. So, <laughs> uh, well, it's tough to listen to a podcast when there's no video really on YouTube. But. Yeah, it is true, and, and I mean at least the videos are short, and you can actually like you know express yourself in the comment section or hit the subscribe button if you think it's awesome or. Give Absolutely. Give thumbs down if you think we're way off base. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, uh, we did a huge long episode last week uh, covering all the new in happenings in the Métis world with the cartel and its and all of its goodness. And I thought we'd just kind of touch on a few items that are still kind of hanging out in social media and things like that about about what happened there last, I guess it was the week before last. Um and so I thought we'd start with kind of trademarking Métis culture. This has become, people are starting to be aware of the fact that the Métis National Council has trademarked. Uh, and I believe that the application went through and was was approved that they have trademarked the Métis flag and uh, the term Métis Nation. So uh, they were very clear to point out they did not trademark Métis, just Métis Nation. So I don't know, what are your thoughts yeah, on trademarking cool. cultural her- uh, heritage? Well, I think it's interesting to point out that uh, unlike most trademarks, um, this trademark that they put on the flag specifically is not singular. It it means that another organization, uh, if meeting the proper criteria, could also uh, copyright the same thing because it doesn't lack enough uniqueness for intellectual property rights to make it exclusive. So they've copyrighted in the sense that they are now trying to move to the exclusivity uh, of the flag, specifically the blue one was the only one they moved on. Um, But it's not to say in the future that if we could, uh, by some miracle, rally enough support that we could create an organization that would then be able to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Now, what what, what, I mean, so if you if you look at it like that, where um, they have this trademark, so it's technically they're supposed to own this, right? But if they can't, if it's too vague so much as to say, well, you can't really, like, charge people. Can they, I guess, can they charge people if somebody were to use that in a logo? Can they, you know, I don't think they can because they haven't yet. And this was approved back in 2015. And I'm sure that if there was a way to make money off of this, they would. So is it really worth doing, I guess, if you, when what's the point of trademarking it other than to try and put your stamp on it i guess well i think there's there's a two 
points to trademarking. Uh, the first is that if you are not a licensed user, so if your organization hasn't gone through the process to apply for the right to use the flag, in all rights, the Métis Nation is and ha might have actual uh, rights to come after you legally um, to discontinue the use of the flag. Um, barring that, they're definitely going to be able to slander and slur and propagate because it is now a copyrighted symbol of the f of the Métis Nation. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So I, I mean, I, I think that a lot of people got really upset by this simply because it's it is a flag of Métis people. It's not the Métis National Council's flag. Um, I mean. The Métis National Council's been around since 1983. The flag has been around a considerable amount of time longer than that. Um, and there's a certain individual on Facebook that will let us know exactly how long that flag's been around and, and the history of that, because he does in every post. But um, I guess, you know, from my perspective, I mean, it it just seems pretty slimy to trademark something that is a cultural thing. Um I, I don't know. I mean, that's just my opinion, but it just doesn't seem like, I mean, it seems almost insulting to trademark something like that. Well, I think it is insulting. I think it's demeaning. I think it is, uh, I mean, let's face facts. So this is highly nationalistic. This is part of their agenda mm -hmm. and their move uh, to check off all the boxes from the United Nations to meet that criteria for uh, an indigenous nation. And we've heard several times uh, over the last weeks, uh, both in on APTN interviews and in the, the uh, Council of the General Assembly, that the Métis Nation considers its rights uh, to land and, and territory equal to whatever First Nation uh, the Blue Blob map covers. And so yeah. they've gone so far to say that any First Nations community that argues their right to territory or how the, the Blue Blob map of uh, the council overlaps their territory, uh, I've heard Clem go so far as to say, well, actually, you know, how come no one's getting mad that uh, the First Nations territory maps overlap the Métis? <laughs> if you can believe that. <laughs> oh, Wow. It's not surprising, though, because I think, um, you know, they, they are working really, really hard right now, and they're really putting in a lot of a lot of a hard, it seems like a really hard push into revising history. Um, it's like they're trying to get, they're trying to hammer out a message right now so that for the next 25 years, they can just slowly work away at making that a new truth, just like they've done with other things. Like, like the Métis National Council is the only one that can tell you who is and who's not Métis, which is absolutely not true. Um, they were never the only Mé source for Métis anything at any point in time other than they formed in 1983. Well, they formed just like any other non-profit corporation forms. And so they're not the sole authority. They're not the traditional government of anything. Uh, but that's the narrative that they've they've told for since 1983 and people start have started believing that that is true, and I think this is another step in that direction where they're gonna they're gonna pound out a message, and then for the next twenty years or thirty years, hold strong to that message and and push that message, so that in thirty years people are like, oh no, that's the truth, that's absolutely the truth, um, and and it's a shame. I think it's an insult absolutely. to Métis people. That, yeah, and that's it's reductive in nature again, like we've talked about in many episodes. So going to so far. 
that they've trademarked the the name as well, Métis Nation, so that uh, they're the only ones in Canada who now can use the word nation when you attach it to Métis. And it, it really goes to this, like you said, a forming of a new identity that the Métis people from the Prairie Provinces are a, uh, you know, basically equal to anyone who signed treaty. Uh, so whether it's yep. the Blackfoot, it's the Cree, the Mi'kmaq, it, the Métis Nation is is striving, like you said, to pound out that message so that for the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years, you're going to see them and they want you to see them as a nation. And when you say the word Métis, you think only Prairie Métis and that Prairie Métis Nation is of equal standing and equal right to any First Nations. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think uh, I just... I was thinking about what it what it would you know the the fact that they're trademarking this stuff so that um, people honestly start to believe that that their Métis identity comes from the Métis National Council alone and that's it and I think that's definitely the message they're going for it's the message that they're trying to do when they're starting to rewrite and and say oh no our territory's always been in this blue area well no it actually hasn't always been there. That in and of itself is the last, you know, within the last 200 years um, or less. And so it, well, that, it's, a, it's a rewriting. See, that's the point, though. It is a rewriting, and that's what that's the whole point of this, though. Yeah. The whole point of the map, the whole point of the trademarks. And when, when you, like I, I mentioned in the video on YouTube, is that this is about creating that singularity so that when you think Métis, you don't think about hey, what should I look up in the dictionary or what does that word actually mean? You only drift off to that nationalistic ideology you put forward by the MNC. That Métis means Western Prairie Nation. And they don't want you to look up to what the word Métis looks like in a dictionary. Absolutely. And, you know, there was, um, I want to read this thing from uh, the BC Métis Federation, which uh, they kind of addressed, basically addressed what we're talking about here, where they said, uh, you know, Métis people across Canada have witnessed this week the Métis National Council has claimed only Métis come from the homeland. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Supreme Court of Canada, uh, from the truth with the Supreme Court of Canada. So many Métis people and society are uneducated on what the courts have clarified in Canada. Uh, the MNC should be required to read and study paragraph 17 of the Daniels decision. Uh, this paragraph stated that there is no one exclusive Métis peoples in Canada and referred specifically to historical Métis in Nova Scotia. The publicly To publicly claim a position about Métis people who are, are contrary to the Daniels case is to ignore the Canadian Constitution set forth in the Daniels case. Uh, the fact is the Métis National Council's self-fabricated map entirely excludes anyone whose Métis ancestry is west of the Rocky Mountains as well as 80% of Ontario and the rest of Canada. Um, you know, east of Ontario and Quebec border and northern Canada. And um, <clears throat> now I don't think we need to, like, I, I disagree with going towards uh, the Supreme Court of Canada to find out, you know, who is and who's not Métis. However, uh, I think it's very clear, even in the Canadian legal system, that you cannot simply say the Métis National Council is the be-all and end-all of Métis. The, the, the legal system in Canada has, has continuously rejected that notion. And so I, I think it's an well, interesting think, way to it's rewrite. Not, it's not to look at, yeah. I think it's not to look at the Supreme Court decision in Daniels as telling us who we are, 
I think if we look at how that court case went, it was about the acknowledgement that the, the court case came to. Yes. So a unanimous decision by the court agreeing with the evidence put forward that the Métis people have a plurality, not a singularity. Absolutely. And that they acknowledge that there's historic Métis communities in the Maritimes, and they acknowledged in that court case that they're the Métis people, plural, are a people that populate right across Canada. And I think this is where we're watching over the last weeks that the MNCT has come out full tilt to make it so that we don't look to the definition of words. We look to the propaganda machine to tell us what those words mean. And so the, the MNC cartel is trying very, very hard right now to redefine that word and to own the brand, you know, the Métis Nation, the flag, the symbols, the conversation. They're really trying to make the conversation not about fact, not about law, but about an ide- ideology. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, I've noticed a lot of people starting to post online um, talking about these so-called trademarks and, and uh, you know, um, Clem has been on AP10 talking about the symbols of their culture and things like that. And I mean, you know, uh, the, the sash comes from Quebec, uh, things like that. So when you really look at these things, um, perhaps, you know, you know, how do you trademark a sash? A sash that did not originate in Red River. Had, had, and that is not where that sash comes from. Um, so, I mean, yes, it, it became a cultural symbol of Métis people, but it was also, you know, used by voyageurs. It was used by a lot of French people. It was used by a lot of people. Um, but it, and I, I realized it became a symbol of Métis people. However, you can't really trademark something that, that like originated somewhere else. Maybe those people want to trademark that, that, that symbol. I don't know. And I, I think you're exactly right There's that I don't see how they could, but the reality is this is the conversation they're trying to put forward is that those things all might originate outside Red River, the cart, the sash, the fiddle, the jig, the you know, you name it, the flag, all originates outside Red River, but they use this word of ethnogenesis uh, to say it culminated in Red River. So those things might pre-exist Red River, but they only found their greatest meaning, their greatest fulfillment in transitioning these sporadic peoples of mixed blood ancestry into a consolidated nation, and that only happened in Red River. And that's the story they're trying to tell. Well, and it it is, and it's a very, I mean, when you look at it just in the way you said it just there, it's a very colonized mindset. So you're basically taking these things, putting them together, and then saying, nope, we own these now. These are ours, and nobody else can have them. Well, isn't that basically what colonization is, is you go somewhere, they came here, and they, they looked at indigenous people, and they said, oh, look at that. Well, we're going to take all that now, it's all ours, and you have no culture. Uh, you don't deserve it, and we own it all now. And I mean, that's a, it's a very colonized way to look at indigenous culture. Um, and I think that's what really is getting on a lot of people's nerves is the fact that you can't trademark an indigenous culture. Um, you can't you can't own that culture. It, it's it's a culture of the people. And uh, but you know, I've said this. Many times in the past, too. I mean, you look at the Métis National Council's prerequisites for being a member, and essentially what they're doing is they're creating a system where Métis people are going to eventually not exist. Um, And so I think a lot of this has nothing to do with Métis people. 
Um, I think almost all of it has nothing to do with Métis people, Métis culture, nothing. It has to do with the survivability of the Métis National Council. And it's however many employees and their their travel budget. And I really think that's what this boils down to. If they were trying to protect Métis culture, they would be out there doing cultural things and trying to revitalize culture within their communities. But they're not. And so the, this trademarking has nothing to do with protecting their culture and everything to do with trying to rewrite a narrative that to, to their advantage. Well, very much so. I mean, we look at, uh, if we compare the, the Métis National Council against what it views as its counterparts in the First Nations communities, we can really see that, that the MNC and its affiliate underlings are really no different. They're the uh, chief and council for Métis people. And these these government dollars flow to the top, rarely trickle down to the bottom, and at the community level, they, they make no impact. And so I think Métis people, for the first time in a lot of these programs and services, as these things roll out, are going to wake up to the fact that uh, that's what the MNC really is. It's chief and council for Métis people in the prairies. Well, and I, and I think they're, they're going to become very aware that the, this, this council, this MNC, uh, you know, the cartel, is... With the whole framework agreement and stuff, they are actually sort of pushing themselves towards having a Métis Act, uh, just similar to an Indian Act. Um, I have no doubt that we will see in the next five years or ten years uh, the Métis National Council pushing for the same quote-unquote benefits that the Indian Act has. So while we want our people to be tax-free if they live and work in our homeland, while we want our people to have these benefits... and all the things that they decry that Eastern Métis are looking for, I would not surprise me if in the next five years you see them starting to work towards those things in their new new traditional homeland. But that is the whole point. I mean, at some point, I think, hey, this is they, they really uh, have sat down. Let's be honest. They have done their homework. They have set up a plan, and they are executing that plan beautifully. Uh, right, wrong, or otherwise, whether I agree with it or not, I admire the execution. Um and you, I think you hit the nail right on the head if the Liberals get in for another term. By creating the language, the framework, the imagery is exactly what the Métis National Council wants out of the Daniels case ruling is a, a Métis Act where Métis people inside that traditional territory, like you said, obviously tax-free is just one of them. They want those tax cards. They want those government benefits and programs and services, and they want to be the portal the access point for all of that. Absolutely, and they and they don't want competition, which is understandable. And and I agree with you. I think you have to know that this is not. Uh, I mean, they make it out. They make it seem like this. Oh, somebody made a motion at the annual assembly, and and it was passed. I mean, this was a decision by the people that were at the assembly. But let's not let's not pretend that that's actually the reality. The reality is, is this is part of a longer longer game plan and they've had this plan for some time and they they're executing it very well as you said and i i think that's the scary part almost is that what's the next step in this plan and uh you know when they start let let's say for just for for argument's sake that the liberals do get in absolutely there's no doubt about that if that happens i guarantee you the budget for the Métis national council is not going to go down so they've They've eliminated members. They've eliminated Powley certified Métis communities, historic Métis communities. And yet I believe 
I don't believe you'll see a drop in funding. So they're, you know, people, a lot of people are saying, well, how can an organization that's, you know, funded based on their membership, you know, do this? I don't think they are. I think they're pushing the government, and I think the liberals are playing along, to fund them at a certain level no matter what. And it doesn't matter what their membership is. And I think that's really where we're headed to, towards, which is really beneficial well, to them. That the, I think you're right, though. The MNC is doing the work for the government, the federal government, because the federal government's going to have a very easy time rolling out an act for Métis people if they're rolling an act out for Métis people the same way they would for First Nations people. So you can, you know, the First Nations group is by far the biggest. And so it's easy to look to them and say, well, the Métis National Council represent Métis people. They have a government, a homeland, all the, the verbiage is there. Yep to meet the same criteria. And that's what they're saying is the Métis National Council is already doing the legwork and creating the picture to say, we already meet the same definition of Indian as the Blackfoot, as the Cree, as the rest of them, because we've got all these things yeah. that make us a nation. So we deserve the same legislation to give us all these benefits that we feel First Nations get. Yeah, and, and the same level of funding and the same you know levels of, of everything. And uh, I, I, I mean, we can argue about whether the government changes what happens there and, and all that. But the truth is, I think that's why they're pushing so hard to try to sign this, uh, you know, framework agreement before the ele- next election. Because once it's in place, if it is an actual legal binding agreement, then the next government that comes in is should be theoretically bound by that. Um, now, having said that, I, I'm no doubt that the government will find a way to have an exit clause in that. I'm sure of it. But, however, I think that I mean that's why they're they're pushing so hard to sign this uh, agreement. That's why they're saying things like, uh, you know, G- Justin Trudeau is the best thing for since in, ever in the history of Canada for prime ministers for Indigenous people. And, you know, I, I have to say, well, he might be that might be true. To a point, the the bar is pretty pretty low on that, um, and and even still, if you talk to the rest of our indigenous family here in, on this piece of land, they will tell you it's not quite that same story. And so I, I think they're just doing whatever they can to get in the books that they have rights and they want funding for the based on those rights. Well, and absolutely, I think that first and foremost, you're absolutely right. This is about access control. This is about defining Métis people under the Métis National Council as the only people entitled to Section 35 and the only people entitled to benefits that will be rolled out under Section 9124. They want to be the gatekeepers and have set themselves up to to do that. This is any, And this is what I think is the imagery, the imagery, the vocabulary that's being used You know, when they talk about having equal uh, co-ownership with traditional Cree territory. When they when they talk about that in Manitoba, we have they have equal uh, co-share rights to that land, and I think that's that's all a setup. I think we could see that easily moving towards a framework agreement that allows them that status under you know Métis, a Métis status act. Absolutely, and and I think that's definitely where where we're going to see this is uh you know they're going to sign this framework agreement and then in their homeland they're going to absolutely demand that they have the same rights as Blackfoot when it comes to Blackfoot territory. 
the same rights as Cree when it comes to Cree territory. Now, I'm not saying that Métis people don't deserve to have rights. I just don't think that a corporation uh, run by a select few who's elected by even even a more select few should have the power to say that. I don't think they should have the power and authority to rule over that area of land and be the only ones. And uh, this is where I think... Well, it, I think... Go ahead. I think you're absolutely right. That, that is the point we've been making for some time, is that if we've coexisted in the same territory and the same place as the Cree, as the you know Anishinaabe, that, that we coexisted with them, well, then the management of the land resources should be the same thing. It shouldn't be the Métis National Council has this jurisdiction and the Cree have that jurisdiction and we just bloody never talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing too is if they were um if they were doing this and then saying and then going to the First Nations in that, you know, blue blob and saying, "Look, you know, exactly what you just said and trying to work with those First Nations." I mean, we'd be talking about a whole different story here. Um but the truth is they're not. They're trying to exert their rights exclusive of anybody else because there are rights, damn you, and we're going to get them. And we don't care about anybody else. There are rights. And I think that's the problem I have with this whole thing is it's never it's never for them been about sharing. It's about getting for us and only us. And, I mean, you see that in everything they do. The, there's only one Métis. It's our Métis. There's only one organization. It's our organization. There's only one this. It's ours. There's only one definition. It's ours. And and everything they do is about this this nation of one. There's only one type of Métis. There's only one defining governing body, and that that simply just is not true. Um, and so I, I I think if if people think that they're going to work with First Nations in those territories, I think they're often sadly misguided. Well, they they've never set a precedent. I think the, the what's funny about that whole conversation is. And you're absolutely right. This whole reductive nature of one is with this whole episode that's now going on in Ontario. They've really kind of shot themselves in the foot because, yeah. <laughs> you know, the Métis, the, the Ontario provincial government uh, in, in partnership with the Métis Nation of Ontario recognizes, you know, six historical Métis communities. And what what this has happened is, is this is where I, I find this whole situation, you know, pretty much laughable. Uh, it, it's so tragic. Yeah. Um, that. So we have the Métis National Council that says these communities, no matter what the, the, they call themselves, have no ties to us. So we're going to disavow yeah. them. We're going to you know, put them on probation and ride that out so that we can hang on to their money. <laughs> and yeah. uh, at the end of the day, though, these communities are recognized by the province of Ontario um, as Métis communities. And so we really now have an establishment, a legal precedent establishment of non-MNC, uh, non-Red River, mixed-blood people being recognized uh, as historic people by the government. Well, that's just it. And, and you know, when the argument that they like to use against uh, Eastern Métis is that, uh, you know, they never formed their own communities and they would never call themselves Métis kind of thing. Um, whether that's really true or not is, is up for debate, I 
But the truth is that's kind of one of their things as well. You guys never, you know, you never called yourselves Métis and you never formed your own communities. And then here you have the government of uh, the government of Canada, the Supreme Court of Canada, determining that, you know, for example, Sault Ste. Marie is a uh, traditional Métis community. And they didn't, the Supreme Court of Canada didn't say mixed blood community. They didn't say indigenous community. They didn't say bras brûlés or voyageur. They used the term Métis. And so now that is a Métis community. It doesn't matter what the Métis National Council says. And if they want to go by their own groundwork, well, you know, a hundred years from now, when they look back in the history books, they're going to go, well, no, see, in the Canadian legal system, they use the term Métis and for that community. So it's a Métis community. And I think you're right. It's, yeah. it's shooting themselves in the foot, which almost makes me wonder what's the bigger play that they're going for here. Well, I think the bigger play is that act. It's the fact that they want to be the gatekeepers. They're going to be the administrative, you know, go-to body for all programs and services rolled out for the Western provinces. And yep. let's face facts, whether that act happens today, tomorrow, next week, there's also the, the huge settlement that's coming to the MMF in Manitoba. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they, they they have this, you know, back and forth going on that's that's really consolidating. Um and good for them. You know, I don't, you know, I'm not bad mouth on the fact that they got, you know, some shit coming their way. It's about bloody time. It's that only saddens me. You know, it has to be, at, it seems like, at the expense of First Nations communities that Métis people get something. We don't, you know, it's yeah. like they're taking it away from here and giving it to us. It's not a, a direct, you know, benefit. Absolutely. And and I think um, the, the sad reality is, is I don't. I think a lot of that money is going to be chewed up by these organizations. I think it's just going to be wasted. And I think in, you know, 15 years, you're going to be sitting here and that money's gone and everybody's going to go and be going, well, what happened? Where did it all go? What, what do we do now? And like we've talked about before, the leaders that are in positions now aren't going to be there to answer those questions. And you're going to be left with somebody else trying to pick up those pieces trying to mend fences, trying to build trying to build something again when really they shouldn't have to. It should have been they should have used what they got to build something. And I I just think it's really unfortunate. Well on the on on the flip side of that, we've seen that the the Metis Federation in uh, Manitoba has uh, set up their special board of directors for this uh, perceived windfall that include former uh, Prime Minister of Canada, Paul Martin. Yep. Um, and I think the reality is they're going to get lots of money. It's going to go into a bank account and they're going to employ a lot of high profile people for a lot of years. Absolutely. To again, manage that money. Yep. On behalf of the Métis people. And I think the reality is it'll be just that. A lot of uh, high profile people managing this money on behalf of the Métis people and the Métis people themselves will never see it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they'll just become this perpetual money-making machine for the few elite Métis that can make it to the top, or in this case, if you're a former prime minister, you can make uh, a nice retirement salary, hopefully off of some Métis money. Well, yeah, because, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. If you're hiring Paul Martin, it ain't coming at, uh, you know, $50,000 a year. He, he he's, he's a little higher than that if you're going to pay him. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think he's doing it out of the goodness of his heart because after he became prime minister... And got out of the prime minister's office. It freed him to be the benevolent, wonderful human being that he really is. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I mean, it's like when they, you know, they hired Tom Isaacs, uh, who did that report for the Harper government, just as the Harper government was leaving and the Trudeau government was coming in. And, uh, you know, they're they're really putting a lot of this high profile people in place. And I mean, you're probably going to spend on these high profile people probably at least, uh, I would say, two to five million a year minimum to to have them be advisors and be on whatever board and pay expenses and, I mean, all we're going to see is, you know, they're spending $8,800 a day now on travel every single day of the year. Well, you're going to see that go up to $20,000 a day probably, you know. And and that's the unfortunate part of all this is I think uh, the Métis people deserve as what whatever they're getting plus a whole lot more. But the truth is you have these people in these positions of power who are going to have the control over that. And they are wholeheartedly not prepared, and they're not the people you want in charge of a billion dollars. Absolutely. And on, on the flip side, I'm very interested to see now what uh, is going to happen with these Métis people, these, these historic communities, inside of Ontario, if they are indeed within the year left with uh, on their own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, do they do they get any of that? Are they cut out now? Like are they they cut their allowances cut off? Like, I, how does that work now? And and you know you've mentioned it before how like Pauli communities in Alberta now have more and in, in, in these provinces that fall in the blue blob have more significance now than than the 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 historical Métis communities outside of the blue blob. Um, and so where's the funding for Métis people? The funding is not for the Métis National Council and its affiliates. The funding is supposed to be for Métis people, but only a select few are ever going to get, ever get to participate in that. Well, I think it'll be interesting to see over the next year. I think you're going to watch the MNO and the MNC duke it out because I I know probably uh, the way government funds a lot of th- things that uh, a significant part of those portions and memorandums that were signed were taking into account the communities in Ontario. Yes. And so a portion of that funding is probably allocated to them. Now, yeah. I, I know for a fact you're probably looking at the MNC. Uh, they're trying to put the MNO in a place where if they voluntarily get pissed off at this and pull out, they'll probably go, well, you guys left. We had your money, but you all ran away, so I guess we'll just keep it for you. Yeah. Um, and it, And I think if they ride it out and they try to go through the whole process, the problem is, I think, I, I would guess, and I'm no lawyer, so I'd love to hear from one. If the MNO tries to stick it out over the air but can't meet the criteria, uh, it will be interesting to see uh, for acceptance back in what happens. And then we still have to admit if the MNC, MNO still tries to stay within the, the MNC framework, they have to jettison all that those members, right? Well, so, yeah. Again, the funding that should have been going to those communities that should be transferred to those six historic community communities, even if the MNO decides they're going to stay in and they're going to keep in that framework, those communities at the end of the day are never going to see that money. No, and they're never going to be part of that Métis Nation ever. Um, which is interesting because the Métis Nation of Ontario would, I would, I would think it would it would shrink significantly, considering ninety percent of the province was cut out of the Métis Nation of or Métis National Council's map. And so you're, you know, everything outside of that is gone if they do try to stick with the new Métis National Council, which, I mean, if I was a member, a Métis member in Ontario, I'd be saying no. I would absolutely be saying no, of course not. 
Why would I want to, you know, I'm I'm going to no longer be Métis just for the benefit of what? Clem Chartier? David Chartrand? Why would I do that? And so I, I think it's um, it's a very precarious place that the MNO is in. Um, I would like to see them step up and be the heroes in this and say, you know, F you and, and take, take our lumps and we're going to take off. Um, but like you said, I don't know if they'll do that. Well, it, it'll be interesting. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of money on the table, and yes. I don't think they're going to be. Uh, I don't think I don't see the MNO leadership um, to date being these strong, backboned, you know, stand up for your rights kind of people. I think they're going to kind of toe the line for a while yeah. to be very reconciliatory towards the MNO between the MNO and the MNCs. For the seal shake, there's there's you know billion dollars on the table here. You just don't walk away, right? Absolutely. Um, at the end. At the end of the day, though, for for those communities and all the Métis people who fall outside this new uh, definition in the new blue blob map, you're on your own. It doesn't really matter whether they stay, whether they go this next year, I think, is going to be a real trying time for the Métis people in Ontario. And I think hopefully uh, they emerge a united, uh, consolidated uh, group because I think the reality is it could really forge a new conversation into uh, the coming year about the Voyager Métis being truly independent, government-recognized, government-funded body, separate from the uh, Prairie Métis. Absolutely. And, and I, honestly, I think, you know, if, if we're going to look at this and just uh, complain, that's one thing. Um, I, don't, I don't like what the Métis National Council has done on, for many reasons, but the biggest one being I don't like how this is going to drastically affect Métis people. That's going to... It's, it's a shame that they're doing this to their own people. I do think that it's great that it's starting to wake people up to go, oh, wait a minute, what the hell just happened here? And I think I've seen a little bit of that on Facebook now um, and on other social media. I've talked to a few Métis people that were, I guess, the more dormant kind that are starting to go, why why are they doing this? Like, what's going on? You know, and, and so people are starting to ask questions, I think. So, you know, moving forward with a positive spin on this, I think... The fact that people are starting to wake up and go, wait a minute, this is just getting absurd now. That's a positive. But I think the other positive is just what you said, where we could see, um, you know, I could envision even within the next 24 to 36 months, there being the Métis National Council and its blue blob map. And, you know, maybe even the Métis Nation of BC separates. and Or maybe they don't, but maybe portions of them do. And then you'll see Métis Nation of Ontario be separate. And which really opens the doors for all Métis people in this country to go, well, see, this is obvious proof that there is not one. We are not one people. We are a diverse group of people like every single culture in the history of the planet is, is a diverse group of people with similarities. But we are a very diverse group of people, and I think that's the positive that I can see coming from this, which I, I'm honestly, I'm kind of excited for. I'm kind of excited to see this breakup. Well, and I, I am too. I think the reality is, it's, it's like you said, people are going to shake a lot of the rust off, a lot of the complacency off, and hopefully, this is a, a re, a reignition, a reigniting of uh, a good conversation about Métis people, about Métis identity and culture. And I think the reality is we already have huge segments. We have the uh, the Federation in BC, yep. which uh, has a huge registry. I think it's their registry of Métis people in BC uh, is almost equal to, I think, or greater than the uh, the BC uh, MNC cartel. 
Yep. And so there's a huge number of opportunity of people who are isolated in BC. Uh, we're now going to watch these six communities duke it out. And ultimately, I, I, do, I don't see the council, the MMNC Federates backing down. And, uh, you know, I think their point, Clem, has been very clear. Yep. And they're going to go with that. Uh, so you're going to see these six communities, historic communities, government-recognized communities on the outside. We've seen already in the Supreme Court of Canada, as uh, reinstated by Keith Henry in BC, the president of the, the BC Federated Métis, that, uh, you know, there's historic communities in uh, Nova Scotia, no matter yep. what the Métis National Council says. Even the colonists' government, which is never on our side, says, oh, crap, yeah, man, there's Métis in Nova Scotia. We know that. We can see that. You know, here we're supposed to know ourselves and we have, a you know, these group of people saying there's no Métis in the East, but even the government, I mean, come on, the government, which is reductive by nature and always tries to marginalize our identity, they're going, yes, we recognize there's Métis people in, you know, Nova Scotia. Absolutely. And then there's the, the, the Northwest Territories Métis Nation, which is not an affiliate of the Métis National Council. And they're on their own and they're negotiating for a land claims deal and they're on their own up there. So you're seeing this fragmentation, uh, which I really think was only a matter of time ever, because you cannot simply say Métis people are one thing. This is the singular definition. Because I think, I mean, you know, even within that blue blob, there's still questions. Like the mountain Métis here in Alberta had nothing to do with Red River. So how are they still Métis according to the Métis National Council? Um, you know, and so, so it's things like that where... You have these traditional Métis communities out east that are now going to be cut out, but you have this community here in Alberta who what had nothing to do with Red River, yet they're in. So do they get a chunk of that billion dollars? Like who knows what's how that's going to work? So I think it's an oh, it was an inevitability. I think that this this happened, um, and so I think for Métis people, I think it's a great time for a lot of Métis people to say, look. You know, we need to start being one people again. Like, not one people as worthy. There's only one kind. But we need to start gathering our people together again and unifying and recognizing the differences. Recognizing that we're a unique people that has differences geographically, differences within this country. And uh, I think it's a great time for that. I really do. I think it's an optimistic time. Me too. I'm very excited. I think there's good things on the horizon if we can keep the conversation going. I mean, for me, the the ultimate thing would be is if we can take uh, these six historic Métis communities in Quebec. I mean, Quebec in Ontario. We can combine it with the uh, you know assert helping to assert the the horrible conditions for Métis people in Quebec. You know, combined with BC, look at the numbers they got. Look at all the disenfranchised Métis people there are on the prairies. You know. I would like to see if we could consolidate. There's no reason we too can't be at the table negotiating billion-dollar, you know, memorandums. Absolutely. This isn't a, a single single game. All Métis people, no matter where they are in Canada, deserve to have access. We simply have to stand united to demand it. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, when you look at something like UNDRIP, which I, I really believe the Métis National Council is wholeheartedly afraid of, which is why they don't support Romeo Sagnash's bill and why they've tried to, you know, say negative things about Romeo Sagnash, which, I again, I, I don't understand why you do that. I think uh, almost every Indigenous person I've ever come across since he dropped the F-bomb has been wholeheartedly loves that guy. But I think in UNDRIP, we got we to gotta start owning the fact that we are allowed to choose who represents us. 
So even though these organizations, some of them have been around close to 100 years, that doesn't mean that they're still the best option for us. That doesn't mean they're the only option. And I think that's what Métis people really need to realize is if that organization, and, and I know we've said this before, but if that organization doesn't truly represent how you feel or how you look at things or what you believe, there are other organizations out there that you can be part of that do, that maybe will fill that need that you have. And I, I think that's that's coming now. I think that's a great opportunity now. And like you said, Métis, even within that blue blob, uh, can can do that. They can choose other other representation. And the government of Canada really should have no control over that. Well, you and I both know we've sat down in, in meetings and we've been sitting with bureaucrats and they have no interest in how Métis people uh, join themselves. You know, you and I know full well here in Alberta, when it comes to harvesting rights, they don't care what plastic organizational card you have in your pocket. Um, so I think this is a great time. This is a hugely liberating moment for, for Métis people to wake up and understand that we have an opportunity to really put forward an alternative voice, an alternative message. And uh, I think it's great. I think there's great things on the horizon if we can capitalize on the momentum that's been given us. Yeah. And, I, I you know, I think um, one of the things, when you mentioned harvesting rights, something kind of popped in my head. But when I look at uh, a lot of the communities, Métis communities that have done have either really done well or have really done something significant for Métis people, it almost always uh, has nothing to do with the Métis National Council and its affiliates. So when we look at the, you know, the Sault Ste. Marie Pauli decision, well, uh, the Métis National Council only jumped on board with that when they thought they could benefit from it. But it was really these two guys you know, the Powley brothers that, that started that whole thing and, and pushed that. Uh, when you look at uh, the Daniels decision, Harry Daniels was very clear that these organizations like the Métis National Council and certain academics that propagate these myths of no Eastern Métis, that was revisionist history. And so the Métis National Council actually fought against that, against Harry Daniels, until they couldn't anymore and then jumped on board when it was to their benefit. But and then I look at even what's going on in Alberta here with, uh, you know, Fort Mackay. Fort Mackay has been very uh, open about the fact that they had to form their own Métis organization for their community outside of the Métis Nation of Alberta, which does elicit some negative reaction from Métis Nation of Alberta members. However, they've moved forward and purchased their entire, all the land that their community's on. They're building buildings. I seen the other day that transitional housing has started to arrive there that they've ordered. Um, they've bought a new uh, traditional land use area that they can they can use, a new resort that they're using for traditional land use. Um, they're doing all these things outside of the Métis National Council and its affiliates. I don't know, it kind of sends a message that <laughs> maybe it's better to be out from underneath these organizations. Well, I think just like we watch with our, our colonial brethren and their top-down approach to everything, you know, it goes from the, the feds to the provinces, the provinces to the cities, the cities to the communities or the rural subdivisions. And it's always this trickle-down effect. And I think Métis people are finally waking up to the fact that if we really want to see things done, we have to have a community-first approach. Yes. And it's the communities that have to drive these kinds of things. And I'm really excited that we're looking at communities becoming aware and in, in, engaged 
in these kinds of, of conversations and opportunities because those opportunities are out there for communities. We just got to be able to do that. And I'd love to be able to see more and more of these communities become united and solidified so that we can cooperate in a community first approach for Métis people and not repeating this crazy, no dysfunctional top down business. Yeah. <laughs> it's top down business with only a select few, few people have votes and only a select few people have all the power and, Absolutely. I, I think that is the key for, for moving forward is uh, recognizing that while we have an opportunity right now to, I guess, change the history of Métis people, really, um, by forming groups outside of this MNC, this, you know, 35-year-old or whatever MNC, um, but we have an opportunity to do that, and I think you're absolutely right. It starts with looking at community first, um, and and... Becoming a federation of communities rather than a conglomerate where all the power is in the hands of, you know, five people at the top or six people. So beautiful words. I, I, I don't I think we maybe we should leave it there for tonight and just say, uh, you know, I think it's I'm, I'm optimistic. Me too. I think that uh, it's a good conversation. I think there's an opportunity for amazing conversations to continue communities that really start to pull together and envision a better, brighter future where it's community first and organization second, you know, and we just need to be able to pull together people and make that happen. Absolutely. And on that, I think we'll, we'll call it a night tonight. Uh, cause Ian Jason always has the most eloquent way of ending the night. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you liked our show and you want to contribute, uh, head over to our Patreon page, the link will be in the description. If you liked or disliked us, send us an email at metipodcast at gmail.com. Of course, we're on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and, uh, and YouTube. Can check out Keeping It Real on YouTube. Um, and uh, continue to listen. I thank you guys for listening. And until next week, for both Jason and I, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses. A fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light.